Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Students don't shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Our voices matter because we're the ones best equipped to tell our own stories. Student journalism matters. This is Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the New Voices podcast. Hello and welcome back to Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate. This is JEA Scholastic Press Rights Committee's podcast focused on empowering student journalists and educating the greater community about their rights. My name is Kristen Taylor, and I'm a member of the SPRC, but I'm also a teacher. I teach at the Archer School for Girls in Los Angeles, where I advise the students' digital newspaper, The Oracle, and their yearbook, Hestia's Flame. Our goal for each episode of this podcast is to highlight a specific aspect of scholastic press freedom and then bring you an interview related to that topic so that you can see how those terms come to life in real schools around this country. Today, we're going to be focusing on three very important terms for both students and adults to understand, prior review, prior restraint, and self-censorship. All right, that's the bell. Class is in session. So we're going to start with some definitions and explanations to make sure you have a good understanding of these terms before we get into the interview. So term number one, prior review. So prior review is when anyone who is not on the publication or the media staff, other than your advisor, requires that he or she be allowed to read or view or approve student material before distribution, airing, or publication. So for example, if an administrator asks to see your content before it's published or wants to approve it first, that's prior review. Another example of prior review is if a a source wants to read your whole story before you publish it to quote unquote, make sure you'll get it right. Of course, we have a responsibility to be accurate and to use quotes in context, but journalists do that through great note-taking, recording interviews so they can check back and working with strong editors, not through engaging in prior review. We here at JEA believe that prior review is the first step towards censorship and fake news. Next term is prior restraint. Prior restraint occurs when someone who is not on the publication or media staff requires pre-distribution changes uh, or removal of the student's media content. So this is another word for censorship. And actually, JEA believes that prior review is itself a form of prior restraint because it inevitably leads the reviewer to censor and um, student journalists to self-censor in an effort to assure approval. Okay, last term, self-censorship. So regular censorship, which is another word for prior restraint, happens when an outside person removes content or says you can't publish something. But self-censorship can be even more dangerous, and I think especially in a high school classroom. When a student journalist decides not to cover a topic or not to publish content because he or she is afraid of upsetting someone, of being censored, or even of being punished, That's self-censorship. The concern here is that students may not even try to cover important but sensitive stories, 
if they are that worried about how it's going to be received. So it's time to apply the terms we reviewed to real life. For today's interview, I decided to stay close to home. I am so lucky to teach at a school where students have final say over all aspects of their publications, and they're not subject to prior review or prior restraint. I wanted to talk with one of our administrators and one of my student editors about this free press environment. Specifically, I wanted to dig into their thoughts on our lack of prior review and prior restraint and to explore the relationship between the student media and school leaders and what makes it work. First, a little background. The Archer School for Girls, which is where I work, is a small independent girls school in Los Angeles. It has grades 6 through 12 and about 495 students total, so it's a small school. My first guest for this interview was Gretchen Warner. She is Archer's upper school division director. Ms. Warner is what most public schools would call the high school principal. My second guest was Archer senior Anna Brodsky. Anna's entering her second year as editor-in-chief of The Oracle, which is our online newspaper. Anna has been at Archer since sixth grade, so this will be her seventh year at Archer, and it will be her fourth year in scholastic journalism. Miss Warner and Anna sat down in August to talk with me about Archer's student journalism program and our three focus terms for today, prior review, prior restraint, and self-censorship. So without further ado, here's that interview. Archer has won the First Amendment Press Freedom Award for the past four years because of its support of a free student press. That means that students have final say over all content and school leaders do not participate in prior review or prior restraint. So I'd like to hear from both of you about this and I'm gonna start by asking a little bit about prior review. Um, Ms. Warner, why has our school leadership team made the choice not to engage in prior review and what would you say to administrators who are worried about not seeing what gets published ahead of time? When I think about student journalism and journalism in general, I think among the many things that we believe as an institution is that it is best educational practice to give students the freedom and the right to be journalists. Um, that is a freedom of our democracy and it is incredibly important not only to us as a school but to us as a society. We know that from educational practices that having students be able to exercise their right as journalists increases engagement, increases critical thinking, increases your decision making, um, and it also has a level of accountability that I think is very real and is incredibly important for students to have and use um, and publish with best practices and mind under the advisement of an expert um, advisor who we have in Ms. Taylor. And, you know, what I would say to other schools that might be nervous about this is that What's incredibly important is that the relationship between students, faculty, staff, parents, everyone in our community is one that is built on trust and one that is built on our core values. And I trust the Oracle, I trust Hestia's Flame to use best practices and to produce quality pieces of work that highlight student voices and inform our community in really important ways. And to follow up on that, Anna, do you think the Oracle would be different if the editors face prior review? 
I definitely think so. I've heard some really shocking stories from friends in journalism programs across the country about pieces that have been censored, and a lot of them are pieces that we would write without a second thought. Um, coverage of the LGBTQ community, um, pieces on the quality of school lunches, things like that. Uh, we wouldn't shy away from covering those, and because we're so used to having the freedom um, to publish what we want and what we decide is important, I think we sometimes take it for granted, but I do know that it is really important that we're able to write about these important topics without fear of administrative censorship or administrative review. Mm -hmm. Do you think that would contribute to self-censorship if you knew the administration was going to look at it first, or maybe not you particularly, but some of the staff members? I think so. I mean, all of us are not only journalists, we're members of the community, and so we want to maintain good personal relationships with administrators. I think if we knew that um, you would be looking at pieces ahead of time, I think we would sometimes be more hesitant to cover issues that could be deemed controversial at other schools. Do you have any thoughts on that, Ms. Warner? I just so appreciate the, the professional relationship that we as a school have with the school publications. And and I really see it as such. It's one of the one of the few areas that teenagers have an uninhibited voice and, and is able to really engage uh, in our democracy and with civil discourse. You know, most teenagers or most high school students are not able to vote yet or not able to do some of the things that once they become the age of majority are rights that they have. And so I see this as incredibly important. Um, and as a follow-up, I know in the past you've sometimes given administration a heads up about controversial articles. Can you explain that process and how is that different from prior review? The example that comes to mind is a piece we published towards the end of this year about anti-Semitism in California high schools. And after we published that, we did reach out to Ms. Warner and other members of senior administration just to let them know about the fact-checking process we'd gone through in the piece. Um, for example, we consulted with the Student Press Law Center um, to make sure that we were in the clear as far as legal issues go. And we did that primarily in case you got calls from administration at any of the schools that were mentioned in the piece, because even though in an ideal world, those administrators would reach out to us directly because it is our content. Not everyone necessarily understands that as an independent forum, the students have responsibility for content. So just in case you all got questions, we wanted you to at least have that basic level of information to respond to them before referring them to us. And I really appreciate that because you're right. A lot of times adults might see something and know that it was student written and go right to the adult that might you know, have some influence, which I don't. But I really appreciated when you sent that heads up because I am not an expert in journalistic practices and I only have peripheral knowledge and most of what I have learned has been through Ms. Taylor and through you and through other editor-in-chiefs before you who have really brought me and other administrators in to inform us about the process. 
And I love hearing about the practices that journalists go through, and you included consulting with the, with the law center, consulting with best practices, using the staff manual for what you're going to cover, what you're not going to cover. I wish more people knew uh, what you went through and how you go through that process. And I think that that also speaks to any other school that might have questions about how we have this trusting partnership. It is that you inform us and you inform the community with what those practices are so that I feel really confident in your abilities and everyone on the Oracle staff's abilities to make those judgment calls about what to publish or what not to. Yeah, that process I think is really key. and. Um, I do think that there's a big difference between a heads up, which is more of a respectful, this is something you should be aware of, and a prior review process where you're getting it before it's published. Right. In a heads up process, um, although there have been a couple of cases in the past where someone had said, just so you know, we're working on this story, mm-hmm. but there's never been an expectation of, and therefore I need to see drafts and I need to do it. I also don't know where you'd find the time to do prior <laughs> review. <laughs> Very true. Um, What would you do, Ms. Warner, if someone complained in the community about a story or what have you done in the past? Yeah. What I've done in the past, if I get any calls, and it's very rare, to be honest, is oftentimes I'll reach out first to the Oracle to find out what the process was so that I can give whoever it is I'm speaking with an informed response about what the process was. And then as you mentioned earlier, Anna, I refer them to the, to the journalist. I refer them to the editor-in-chief. I refer them to the staff who can answer their questions or comment um, and address any concerns. Do either of you feel any topic is off limits? Why or why not? I would be hesitant to determine that any topic is off limits in all situations. It's generally the Oracle's policy not to cover disciplinary actions. Um, we use the ethical code of the Society of Professional Journalists, and two key tenets of that code are to maximize truth and minimize harm. It's generally our thinking that as far as disciplinary actions go, coverage would represent an undue violation of the student's privacy in a way that wouldn't necessarily benefit the entire community. So I would say in general that topic is off limits just because the ethics of it are a bit murky. Of course, if there were some sort of situation in which it would benefit the entire community to know about the outcome of a disciplinary action, that would be a really serious conversation we would have to have in the newsroom. It's hard for me to think of one right now, but I I suppose there could be a case in which that topic would have some kind of larger benefit for the community. So I'm hesitant to say that it's completely off limits, but definitely in our normal routine, that wouldn't be something that we would cover. I think we've done a lot of stories on sensitive subjects in the past few years. Um, For example, two years ago, we had a staff member write a piece about sexual assault, and we knew that was an emotional topic and a topic that had a profound effect on some of the sources we had quoted and used in the article. So we were really careful when we were writing that to make sure that we were representing everyone fairly and representing the situation fairly. And we wanted to make sure that the victims were really conscious of the fact that this would be going on a public website, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. And so there are certainly 
heightened ethical concerns that arise when dealing with sensitive subjects. But I wouldn't necessarily say that that means the subject shouldn't be written about. In fact, oftentimes it's even more important to delve into those difficult conversations. Ms. Warner, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's one of the things that I appreciate most about the process that the oracle goes through when determining what to cover and what would make a story that is a good story and in line with journalistic ethics. And I think the thought and care that I heard you even responding to this question is indicative of the thought and care that goes into this process because we are a community. We are a school community. And for many, many people, this is more than a school. It is a second home. And I think that, you know, outside of obvious things like hate speech or discrimination or, or publishing things that would violate some of the journalistic norms, I am incredibly appreciative for the sensitivity with which the Oracle approaches, as you said, the sexual assault article. I thought that was done with incredible sensitivity and care for the subject and the people that were you were talking with. And, and to get that out into the community in such a, such a sensitive way was impressive. Um, I think the other thing that's a challenge, and I'm always am impressed with how you navigate it, is the fact that many of the people that you're talking to or talking about are minors. And how you navigate that. You know, we are a school that has both a middle school and a high school. And I am appreciative for the ways that you differentiate between what's covered and how it's covered, knowing that the students in our community, most of them, are minors. One concern among journalism educators is that students often self-censor, which I talked about a little bit earlier, because they're worried about getting in trouble or upsetting someone or being censored. And there was a 2016 study that said that girls are more likely to be censored and to self-censor than boys. Anna, do you find yourself tempted to self-censor, or have you seen this in other reporters? And if so, how do you combat that? I'm not as scared of punishment from administration because I feel that our status as an independent forum is so well established at Archer. I know the same can't be said at a lot of other schools, but I think there is a bit of a fine line between worrying about the potential impact to the community and worrying about the impact to my own reputation as an editor. And that's definitely a fine line to walk. Um, sometimes I do find myself worrying um, about, for example, reporting being taken out of context without knowledge of the processes we go through in order to ensure that information is valid and fact-checked and all of that. Um, so I think there have been times in the past where I've worried about pieces being misunderstood or sourcing being misunderstood by the community. And so I've made sure that the article is really clear about the processes we go through. Um, I'm not sure if that necessarily falls under the umbrella of self-censorship just because I'm not necessarily worried about backlash from administration as much as backlash from community members who might not necessarily be cognizant of 
the fact-checking processes we go through. Um, Ms. Warner, do you have any thoughts on that or on this whole issue of self-censorship among girls in particular, whether you want to be the nice girl or the good girl and not upset people? Yeah, I have so many thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many thoughts. You know, a number of the things you said resonate with me. And one of them is, you know, your talk about walking that fine line. Um, And I heard you use the word worry about your reputation and worry. And when I heard you then follow up that, I didn't see it as worry so much as you have incredible attention and sensitivity and a careful process by which you go through. And what I am so inspired by as you talk about that is that you are practicing what I practice every day as a leader, which is what do I do in this situation? How do I handle this? This is the most authentic opportunity for you to practice full-blown, real, you-are-accountable leadership, I think that we offer at the school and and that any young person can engage in in this age, at this age. Um, you know, when I think about one of the things you said about not worrying about backlash you know, from me or from the administration, but rather how the community will react. The ability for people to comment and respond, whether it is online or in print or passing someone in the hall, that is such a real experience for all of us. And again, I just, I think it's an incredible opportunity. And though I would never want a student to self-censor, because of fear of backlash from the school. I think that that process that you go through to consider whether or not it is worth pursuing and publishing a story, provided that process doesn't involve the the fear of, of retribution from a school, I think is a really interesting process that really enhances our civil discourse and is a testament to our democratic process. I just want to tie things together a little bit here. As I'm listening to both of you, one of the things that I'm hearing is the need for education at the school level and at the community level for processes. And, you know, I think this is also speaking to the fear we have in society right now about fake news and Mm -hmm. people not trusting major news sources. And news sources make mistakes. We make mistakes. The Oracle makes Mm -hmm. mistakes but how you then are accountable for those mistakes and how you fix those mistakes, and then also how you try to avoid them in the first place. So I I do think as a takeaway for anyone listening to this podcast, one of the things that I would say is you need to engage your administration and your community in education about what real journalism is and how those pillars of, you know, seeking truth and reporting it, which is our highest responsibility as a news source, but then also minimizing harm and being accountable and being transparent and all of those different things and being independent. I think people don't have a good sense of that because those scholastic standards come from the professionals in the industry. So that's just an interesting um, takeaway. So is there anything else either of you would like to say after having this conversation to wrap things up today? I'm just incredibly grateful for your leadership and the, your passion, your skill, your continuing development of the program, and 
I'm speaking to you specifically, Anna, but I'm also speaking to you, Ms. Taylor, because I know that it takes a real partnership between students, an incredible advisor, you know, and then the school, me over here, <laughs> but really I credit both of you um, and every editor-in-chief that has come before and will come after you with maintaining such a quality news site for our community that really touches far beyond our walls. I think that whenever a student publication is given responsibility over what it publishes, it's really important that all editorial decisions are grounded in ethics. That's something that we frequently practice on the Oracle and something that I would definitely emphasize for any students who are thinking about trying to become more independent. Being independent isn't necessarily a license to publish whatever you want whenever you want to. It requires a certain level of thought and attention to the needs of the community. And so making sure that you have concrete ethical processes in place when tough stories come to mind is really important. And I think that's the bedrock of all scholastic press freedom. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. I hope this conversation leaves you feeling inspired about what is possible when school leaders trust their student journalists and allow them to have ownership of their work. Thanks once again to Anna Brodsky and Gretchen Warner for taking the time to talk about scholastic press freedom with me. If you are an advisor, or better yet, if you're a student journalist who is subject to prior review or who self-censors out of fear of prior restraint, or because you're worried about upsetting someone, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email describing your situation or asking a question, and we will do our best to respond in a future episode. You can reach us at sprc at jea.org with the subject line podcast comment or tweet us at JEA Press Rights. So you don't miss out on future episodes, please subscribe and rate and review this podcast through any of the many podcast applications available for your computer or phone. The Scholastic Press Rights Committee is chaired by Lori Keekley, and JEA's president is Sarah Nichols. You can find us online at jeasprc.org. We hope to see many of you at the Fall National High School Journalism Convention in Washington, D.C., November 21st through 24th. Anna, who you just heard in this interview, and I have presented a session about press rights in private schools the past two conventions, and we will be doing so again in D.C. So if you are in a private school without First Amendment or New Voices protection, and you want to know more about how we built this trusting relationship with our school administration, we would love you to come to our session. In the meantime, we look forward to observing Constitution Day with you on September 17th. Use the hashtag studentpressfreedom to tell us how you are celebrating. Thank you for listening, and remember, student voices matter.